Hey guys, welcome back to the Greenback Voyage podcast. Um, it's been a while. Uh, what are we saying, Joel? About nine months at this point? Yeah, probably more than half a year, guaranteed. Yeah, so uh, we've decided to revitalize it um, since we're figuring out all of our college situations. And uh, what better way to start off than uh, bringing on a new guest speaker? Uh, today we have Mr. Ethan Ding, one of our true good friends in the international relations community. You want to say hi, Ethan? Hi, guys. My name is Ethan Ding, and I am a double major in international relations and economics. All right. So, yeah, uh, we brought him on today uh, because this topic is pretty important because, uh, well, everyone's saying World War III is about to happen. So I guess let's get right into it. So the topic we're going to talk about today is the Russia-Ukraine crisis. Um, I guess we can just get started. Any thoughts, boys? Uh, yeah, I'll start off. Uh, regarding World War Three, I don't, you know, I I don't think there would be. I don't think it's any. It's in anyone's interest to start a World War Three. It would probably just be, uh, you know, Russia taking some parts of Ukraine and calling it a day, uh, and then getting sanctioned. But for World War Three to happen, the other countries would have to like Ukraine doesn't have any that that many allies, right? So if if in the case Ukraine joins NATO before Russia invades, that would be insane, and that's 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 when you have World War Three and you have our troops going and protecting NATO territory. But Do I don't you think Ukraine will ever join NATO at this point? I mean, it's been what they've been harping on this for about fifteen years. Now yeah, to been, join either NATO or the EU. Uh, well, I you know it's it's really tough at this point because uh, if they do, it seems like Russia will immediately invade right after. So uh, it's gonna take. I don't think it's gonna happen anytime soon, to be honest. But yeah, like, Ethan, it, you have you have any thoughts on this? Um, yeah, I think I think it's definitely going to be difficult. Um, I was doing some research earlier and. F um, they did a survey and said that approximately 56% of um, Ukrainians support um, uh, joining NATO or at least having closer um, having closer relationship with NATO in some sort of way. But when you go down to southern and eastern Ukraine, that number falls into the 30s and low 40s. So while it may appear that more than half of um, Ukraine supports um, increasing cooperation with NATO in some sort of manner, we can see that the distribution is not quite even. So I think that might also throw a wrench into a potential um, NATO membership for Ukraine. Yeah, I mean, look, I don't think Ukraine should even pick a, a side, right? They should just remain neutral. That's in their best interest. I don't really like Zelensky or any of the politicians saying, "Oh, we have dreams to join NATO." Or just remain neutral. You you already know. You know, if you pick a side, there's going to be insane amount of conflict. So I think just remaining neutral is probably their best move. And that's that's kind of like what Russia wants as well. Russia doesn't really want their land. They don't have the budget to really go and annex the whole place. So they just want Ukraine to denounce NATO any any plans of joining NATO. That's all they want. And I think Ukraine should probably take that option. So do you think Ukraine sort of brought them on this on themselves um, intentionally? Or you think that this conflict was going to happen inevitably? Because, I mean, you still have to remember, like, they were in good relations all the way up till 
what, 2013, 2014, right before that entire coup took place and Russia annexed Crimea. Yeah. So you do you think it could ever get back to those relations where Russia was pretty friendly with Ukraine? I think, I mean, generally Russia was, uh, I wouldn't say friendly. They, you know, Putin has always said, you know, the collapse of the Soviet Union has is the greatest disaster, losing all the land, all the territories. So they probably did have like a long-term plan to eventually take over these lands, to be honest. So uh, the relations, the relations between Ukraine and Russia were primarily weakened because of us and nato we wanted we're, we're kind of like we're trying to use ukraine as an outpost to uh to uh, russia right and i think we probably were the ones who kind of instigated this because you know back back then like 20 30 years ago when ukraine separated they actually had russia's uh, some of russia's nuclear arsenal and they actually exchanged that for recognition of sovereignty and since then it was it was pretty it was pretty peaceful and then when nato started to grow a bit more powerful and then we started to take interest in ukraine that's when russia got really scared and rightfully so because if we were to if nato if ukraine were to become nato territory it, it's also like in a it's a very distinctive shape right it's like an oval and ha the eastern side is like bleeding into russia and the the western side it's like going into Pol it's like connected to poland and uh, slovakia and all those countries so if we do end up having a, a NATO, if if that if Ukraine does end up being NATO land, and we set up mis missile launchers and NATO bases, that that's like about 500 kilometers from Mo Moscow. So, it's kind of I wouldn't I don't want to say it's NATO aggression, but we've kind of started the crisis between Ukraine and Russia. We kind of oh, instigated yeah, no. it a little bit. I mean, I totally agree with that. It's in similarity to how the Cuban Missile Crisis was, if you look at it that way. I mean. You know, the Russians put basically the entire East Coast on sort of an alert when that whole situation spiraled. And now Moscow will be what inside of our missiles if Ukraine were to ever join the NATO. But I think the more important thing to look at here is is sort of the domestic politics rather than sort of international politics. Because mm -hmm. I think that's where people tend to forget what's sort of happening. Because we can look on both sides. So we take Russia, for example. So Putin, you know, he's had a lot of opposition in the previous years. Um, there's been, you know, rumors of him putting his opposition in jail, potentially killing them, uh, putting his oligarchs in jail as well. Mm -hmm. And he just really wants to, you know, stay in power like any sort of dictator would do. And the best way to do that is to basically unite the people together. And that's sort of what Russia and China have in common is... They really just want to make sure that the people are propagated to supporting the government. Because if they aren't, then it's very easy for them to sort of understand that, hey, maybe the Western allies are a better resource for us, and they might, you know, throw a coup against the government. And if you look at 2014, for example, when Russia annexed Crimea, I believe Putin's approval rating within the next week or so shot up around 10 to 15%. Which is sort of unheard of in Western politics, and it I mean, shot up ten percent or shot up two. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, no, no. <laughs> I, I guess it shot up ten percent is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. But yeah, in terms of that scenario, I mean, you look at that, and now Putin's saying, okay, as in order to remain in power, I basically have to convince the Russian people that Ukraine 
is part of the motherland and that's what he's been you know propagating with them for around the past month yeah and, you know it's this it's the same mm-hmm. issue in china as well so mm-hmm. basically they're just going back and forth at this and i mean yeah before you go on i just want to talk about the u.s side really quickly mm-hmm. because on the u.s side you know we're having our own internal problems the economy is not doing as great as the democrats promised us when we voted them in uh we're having inequality issues still inflation's on the rise uh we're having all sorts of issues across the border with the anti-vax community and Biden's approval rating is showing that because it's tanking i mean it's down to where trump was when the china crisis was going on yeah and this might be a way for you know the u.s to instigate it because what brings together a country more than nationality and war? So if the U.S. starts to instigate it and say, you know, we're supporting this country against one of our most profound enemies, hey, who knows, maybe Biden's approval rating shoots up and the midterms are coming up this year. Maybe the Democrats can take some seats or just maintain the seats that they have right now. Yeah, I mean, in this country, it's become very unpopular to go for a president to go into wartime. Uh Regarding the uh, midterms, Biden is dealing with a insane foreign policy problem right now. He like midterms are in about a few months, right? Uh, and if the Democrats, especially Biden, he can't come up with a solution, and this gets dragged on forever. Because if if Russia does, let's say Russia does hypothetically proceed to invade, and you have all sorts of problems with commodities, with gas, and we do inflation does pick up. And Biden and, and, you know, the Fed, who's also projected to have interest rate hikes, and that messes with their projections, you know, this could spiral into a very big problem for Biden and his reelection. So uh, for if I don't, I don't think uh, people really want us to uh, really, really participate in this. They don't, I don't think the U.S. population wants the U.S. to get really involved uh, with the Ukraine situation. I think they prefer like the European countries to probably handle this and for us to like stay out and probably focus on what's happening in our country regarding the economy and everything. Yeah. Um, regarding what you guys were saying about um, uniting a country through nationality, it's um, this is also a, um, a prominent theory in international relations as well, where um, if you look through uh, back throughout history, um, and you look at the support rate of leaders, especially uh, authoritative and autocratic ones, they tend to be the highest when they can unite the population in some sort of conflict, whether mm-hmm. it's a war or expanding and annexing new territories. This is something that you see a lot, um, especially in uh, Latin America and Europe um, throughout history. But um, the U.S. is definitely in a peculiar situation because we do have this system of checks and balances, right? So we're mm-hmm. not like an actual autocracy. Um, it's not where, where one person says something and it goes. There are different factors at play, um, different incentives and different motivations from the people who participate in government. So I think the U.S. Um, response to this incident will be really interesting. But I think the number one thing that the U.S. government Um, and our politicians need to figure out is how much are we willing to sacrifice, right? How, what, how much um, are we willing to do and put up with in order to 
stop or hinder Putin's aggression. And I think that as a nation, we don't really quite have an answer to this yet, which quite adds, which um, adds to the confusion um, that exists. And I think Putin realizes this as well, where he can keep pushing and pushing to the point where he wants to find out where indeed we draw the line in the sand. Um, so I think Putin um, has definitely understood that this could be his opportunity to potentially um, not only annex um, Ukraine or whatever separatist territories want, that want to join Russia, but also find out um, the willingness of the U.S. and what, how um, much they're, how far they're willing to go in terms of trying to stop him. Yeah, that's that's completely right. Yeah, I I think you're spot on on that. So look, Russia has been uh, growing very powerful, right? They have a really tight hold on the European countries, right? I think like 40% of uh, Germany's natural gas is from Russia. And that's why they wanted that Nord Stream pipeline that undercuts uh, Ukraine and go has a pipeline directly to Germany. And that, that actually got sanctioned pretty recently because of Putin and uh, uh, recognizing those two territories. Uh, but going back, you know, it, it's all a negotiation table, right? You know, you have the U.S. with their bargaining chips and Russia with theirs. And if Russia, you know, ends up coming on the winning side of this, that number one, that's a huge power boost for them. And number two, for China, they will start to start uh, looking at ways to invade Taiwan. And that could be because, you know, first we failed on Afghanistan. If we fail on this as well then you could start to see other authoritarian governments start to recoup some of their territories back. And that could be a major foreign policy disaster for so, you know our allies and us. So it will be very interesting to see how Biden and his team deals with this because there's a yeah, lot I of mean, implications. Before going on to China, um, I, I just sort of wanted to ask, I'm not really well-versed in sort of uh, political you know, sanctions and stuff like that, but... Sort of. This is for more of you, Ethan. What, what more can, could U.S. do, or what strategies can U.S. implement to st- try and stop Russia's aggression potentially? Um, I think that you know this is a question that um, I'm sure that a lot of people in the government and um, a lot of um, international relations scholars too are trying to figure out because they have tried to stop Russia by condemning them on the international stage and as well as um, placing economic sanctions. But it seems like Putin either doesn't really care or he's really prepared um, or he's already prepared for these kind of sanctions. I personally think it's probably a mix of both. Um, I was like, I was reading up on this that um, Russia has like, I believe six uh, trillion or um, in like four and like foreign reserves, if I remember correctly, maybe I'm a little bit off there, but um, is that so also see- with like currency, like foreign currency? You're saying as well? Um, I believe that- they just it's just classified as foreign reserves. Okay, like foreign assets. If, uh, f- um, f- yeah, foreign assets, um, reserves. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just that. The U.S. is definitely very. U.S. and the West as a whole are very limited in terms of their options in dealing with Russia. Um, I think on the Ukraine issue, I think we are seeing a large hesitancy on the behalf of the U.S. and NATO in terms of actually committing troops on the ground. Even to now, in this point, they have been due. Um, 
supporting Ukraine by giving them weapons or by um, helping to train some of their soldiers. But I think that, yeah, in regards to actually stopping Putin and what the U.S. can actually do, this is an open-ended question that um, I think many, even those who are in think tanks right now, probably can't even give a definite answer on, if I'm going to be honest. Oh, yeah, it's it's really, I think it's really hard because, you know, first... You know, if you look at how Putin has handled the situation so far, he kind of, it's pretty genius how he did it. So, you know, uh, he recently recognized those two regions, right? That's actually Ukraine territory, and the separatists took it over back in 2014 with Russia's help. And so Russia can't, according to international law, place their troops in those regions if they're not, if, you know, if it's like a rebel-occupied area. But since Russia, or Putin, has recognized them as independent sovereign states and they've just brokered a military deal he's been able to now put his own troops there and that's technically invading ukraine because no one else recognizes that right uh so you know it's it's he's kind of he's, he's kind of taking advantage of a loophole here and he's now what was it like he's put about 200k of his troops now total which is a huge increase it's like what 33 percent from last week and that's almost uh, 25% of his entire troop reserve or entire troop uh, number. So uh, he seems to be pushing more and more. And the U.S. is kind of like they don't know what to do. It's 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 sort of, you know, if you look at the headlines as well, uh, they're very misinformed on what's going on in the situation or they may be on purpose doing this. But in terms of what the U.S. is currently doing or with the European countries, they're only sanctioning them. They're not doing anything else. And we all know how that went back uh, with Russia. You know, these sanctions really don't really mean anything. Russia always expects these sanctions to come. You know, their foreign minister has said the same thing. He he, he expected sanctions to come a week before it, without them even doing anything. So Russia is it looks looks right now looks to be that uh, the person who's calling the shots there. And, and it looks like the U.S. and European countries don't know how to handle the situation. It's, it's yeah, oh, I mean, uh, oh, oh, before sorry, before we continue, um, I said mm-hmm. that Russia had six point three trillion in reserves. That's actually six hundred thirty billion. I'm sorry, oh. um, <laughs> I, I, I misspoke. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry. That's a that's quite a that's quite a substantial amount to be off by. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm, I'm I, mean, sorry for that. I mean, that's all right. Yeah, it still doesn't matter because what Russia is even doing now is they're looking to uh, unload all their dollar reserves because. Uh, they think that, you know, because of how much we've printed, they're starting to do that, which is also pretty crazy. I think China is also trying to do this, and they're trying to take the U.S. dollar off uh, being traded off oil and uh, as being hel- uh, held as the global reserve. So mm-hmm. yeah. that's what yeah, I actually, I actually have – I was going to just actually talk about that before you brought it up. But in sort of like the sanctions you're talking about and how this is really just not going to affect Russia – you know, they in- introduced, what, the first tranche of sanctions on Russia. Uh, so that included, you know, the Russian sovereign debt. But, you know, just to keep in mind two things, you know, one, Russia's debt to GDP ratio is around 18% compared to what U.S. is over 100% now. So mm-hmm. it's not even close into that relation. And the second one is Putin has stopped investing in FX reserves in the U.S. government bonds. Uh, you know, you look at back in 2010, uh, this is all coming from Bloomberg, by the way. So Russia had around $176 billion in U.S. treasuries. 
and that steadily declined from there. Uh, took a sharp nosedive in 2018, and they hold around only four billion in U.S. Treasury. So to even level that off as sanctions is useless. Right. And you know the other main thing was the Germany pipeline. What is it again? The Nordstrom Nord- pipeline. Nord Stream two. Yeah, Nord Stream pipeline. Uh, in that case, I mean, what Putin just recently did a deal with China where china is buying i think it's like a hundred billion dollars worth of their oil and gas reserves Mm -hmm. and this is just further strengthening their own relationships i mean you know many months ago we talked about uh how the iss was going to get uh demolished and how the u.s was going to build one separately and probably russia and china were going to combine together to build one now who knows what might happen with this deal as well the Russian army has lots of navy within the Pacific Ocean. You know, Taiwan is right there next to China, something that they've been looking to take for a while. Mm-hmm. So, you know, with this influx of energy coming from Russia and knowing that the U.S. has problems with their own supply chain infrastructure and their own energy crisis, mm-hmm. they might look to provoke Taiwan and start their own war over there. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's all hypothetical, but in reality, like, how far are we away from it from that? I mean, who would have thought that Russia would have, would, might invade Ukraine this heavily about a year ago? I, I kind of, uh, I kind of saw some aggression coming right after, like, our fallout with Afghanistan. A lot of uh, people predicted that Russia might be moving into Ukraine and kind of testing the waters with the Biden administration on how they would react if, you know, this goes in. And it's sort of become to the point where Putin is kind of like, he's. it's kind of like he has to invade at this point. Like, if he doesn't invade, he's going to look so weak on the international stage, right? So I think the recognizing those two territories was a big move. I think he can even do that and just call it because uh, putting his military, uh, occupying, because that, that's technically Ukraine's territory, and he's occupying it with his military, right? So that alone is actually a pretty big move. I don't think a lot of people realize that. And he might just stay there and stay in those two regions and kind of have like a have that as a checkpoint for NATO uh, and sort of drag this on out. Uh, I don't think he I don't know if he has the resources to do that, but that seems like what's going to happen. And, and this, the, the world economy is going to be like flatter. It's going to be like sort of uh, really volatile because of this for the next two weeks. And I don't know how Biden is going to really handle that because. The sanctions don't seem like it's really having an effect. Even Germany was really hesitant on, right, Olaf was saying that he didn't want to impose sanctions because of obviously the natural gas supply and a lot of other countries said the same thing. Like even NATO countries aren't really on board on the, on doing this. Only like uh, US, Japan and like a few other countries sanctioned them so far. And that was on like, uh, it was like expert control on like uh, semiconductors and uh, technology, those types of sanctions. And it wasn't on like sanctions on oil exports or natural gas exports. So you already see how uh, how we can't really attack, we can't really affect Russia where it needs to be affected, because they're just too powerful. And uh, U.S. will never really put troops down there, uh, and we will only be putting troops in NATO territory. So Russia seems to be like they're in control of this, and it's just going to strengthen other authoritarian countries. Um, in terms of um, whether or not Russia would have 
um, whether anybody saw that, would have predicted that Russia was going to invade Ukraine. Um, we actually got a little inkling of this in 2008. Um, a lot of people might not know about this, but I mean, in 2008, Putin had met um, former President Bush. And he had actually told Bush to his face that Ukraine is not even a country, which I, um, which is really astounding really? because, <laughs> you know, yeah, this is, this is, this is actually true. Yeah. So I think in terms of a international relations perspective, this is incredible. This is like stunning because the entire basis of international relations is built on the concept of sovereignty. Right. So in, um, long story, um, in layman's terms, sovereignty just relates to, uh, just translates to a supreme power or authority over like a given territory or land. And to all of us, um, especially in the West, we've already just been, um, we've already been accustomed to the fact that okay, Ukraine is its own country, so of course it should have supreme power and authority over its own laws, over its. Um, over its military, over its own territory. We just take that as a given. But in the eyes of Putin, from Putin's standpoint, he doesn't, to him, Ukraine is just a part of Russia, right? Right. We mentioned, um, I think we mentioned this a little bit before, where Putin just thinks of um, Ukraine and all the other f um, former Soviet states, for that matter, as just um, social constructs and um, pieces of land that were just, voluntarily given up by russia so i think this is um a critical um uh viewpoint to consider that what we take as a given um putin views completely differently so i think this fundamental difference as well uh, as well this fundamental difference is something that uh the u.s needs to take into account as well that um putin's in his mind, Ukraine isn't even its own thing. So, if he wants to take back Ukraine, he is going to he should be willing to give up a lot in order to get it. Now, what is the U.S. willing to sacrifice in order to stop that? We're not sure. Yeah, look, it's I think honestly the U.S. because you know Ukraine has like a really nice position it's it's got ports near the black sea that lead to the mediterranean and then uh it's sort of in like this middle between nato and russia right in the in the midpoint so uh it's more of like what uk france germany those guys want to do uh rather than because like i th if if you if russia really takes over ukraine in that region it's not really going to affect us as much as it will affect uh european countries uh, the only thing that I see that will affect us probably is our exports of natural gas, liquefied natural gas to Europe. Because if Russia, because we actually like, uh, since 2018, we increased our uh, liquefied natural gas, like it's, it's shipped in container ships uh, by like two 2,000%. And that's like a huge profit maker for us, right? Uh, so if Russia becomes really powerful in that region, they will become more they'll become a bigger producer uh, or exporter of natural gas to these european countries and that will weaken our position and our hold over some of these countries right when it comes to negotiation uh and that's the, so because of that i if you guys re recently saw the news we actually like we're uh, we're shipping so much natural gas recently like in the last two weeks 
to fill up some voids that these countries had uh and I, that's that's like because it's it's really a natural gas problem between U us and russia in this region uh so that's why we're we're we were sanctioning the Nord stream so many times like this is not the first time actually we actually did it before and then we dropped it and now we're doing it a second time so uh we'll see how you know because at the end of the day it will be like who exports more to the eu and uh that's i think that's our primary goal to be honest it's not really about the land or anything it's about the natural gas there Robin, yeah yeah um i don't know i mean all of this issues is just a big thing in the end what i just really want out of this is for the u.s to stay out of it which they will probably never do since our foreign policy has changed over the last 20 or so years but other than that i mean hey putin's got us in a stronghold on the western allies you know the energy crisis isn't really helping you, both Europe and the U.S. I mean, you look at U.K.'s natural gas prices, they've shot up about, I think it was, what, 400, 500%, and each person is about to get almost a 1,000% boost in their utility bills, and <laughs> Germany's not far off from that, um, and who knows how the U.S. is going to be in the future. But, hey, I mean, honestly... In my opinion, it's a very strong opinion, but Ukraine sort of brought this on themselves in the past two years. Um, really, what else did they expect them from, you know, attacking Russia like that? I mean, yeah. did they really think Putin was going to back down from that? And they did they really think the Western allies were going to help in this situation? Yeah, I, you know, say, you know, like Zelensky, who was saying things like, oh, we have plans to join NATO. It's our dream to join NATO. Like, you can't really say that type of stuff, you know? Uh, I don't think any I don't think any NATO countries really committed to placing troops and helping Ukraine. So when you don't have that type of relationship secured, uh, you can't really put out statements like that, you know, saying that you're pro-Western ideals instead of, uh, you know, you got to remain neutral. And I agree with that point where Zelensky really did uh he made a lot of political mistakes and that have led to this point where russia is at their doorstep knocking and they're really about to take over you know pro they're probably gonna i i my, as for my prediction i think they will annex like eastern europe or sorry not eastern uh eastern ukraine because <laughs> <Eastern Europe. laughs> uh, they'll probably annex you know parts of uh eastern ukraine over the time because, you know, actually, if you look at that, the demographics of that place, it's actually people who uh, come from Russian descent, right? Most of them. But Eastern uh, uh, Ukraine, they have very, very, uh, they have, you know, cultural norms that are very related to Russia. They speak the Russian language. Yeah, so, I mean, but, but the main reason that that's the thing is because, you know, during the early 90s and the early 2000s, are uh, sorry not even the early 90s my bad uh during the cold war crisis you know when joseph stalin was in power he basically starved the entire ukrainian citizens on the eastern shore and basically put in the russian citizens there that's why so many citizens there who say they're ukrainian are really russian because you know their grandparents are russian descent mm -hmm. i think like yeah, even, i think i've heard somewhere like uh, putin's mother is also like ukraine or uh, like a really close family member of him is uh, Ukrainian. 
so it's also pretty interesting. Yeah, on the topic of um, Russian, on a lot of Russian speakers being in Ukraine and Eastern Europe in general, um, that's this. Uh, Putin has used this to his used this to his advantage by telling the Russian citizens that um, these Russian speakers are undergoing genocide or undergoing um, repression, which um, interna which international sources have disputed. But I think that this is another um, tactic of Putin's where he's realized that um, because there are so many Russian speakers in these countries, he can make, he can news um, uh, uh, stories of genocide and oppression as a way of unifying the Russian people and increasing nationalism and um, helping his own popularity in the uh, process. Like even now, if you were to um, analyze the situation in Ukraine for Russian speakers, um, what we see and what Russian people may see is different. They because they've been, it's been ingrained into their heads that Russian speakers in these areas are just suffering and um, being repressed. So I think this is another tactic of Putin's that has not only helped solidify his own support base inside Russia, but it has also put an immense amount of pressure on NATO in the West as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I guess final words before we sort of end the, end the episode. In terms of how this is going to affect the market, um, I mean, if you look in the past with the Iran war, the Gulf war, the... Uh, invasion of Afghanistan and sort of those stuff I mean it's the old saying of you know how how they say buy the rumor and sell the news in this case it's you know sell sell the rumors and buy the news yeah exactly that's how history has proceeded because every the stock market in general is how it's expected to be in the future it's not saying how it's going to be now it's all about expectations that's right. why I'm guessing when you know, Powell comes out next month as well and issues that interest rate hike. As long as it's not 50 basis points and it's only the 125 basis points, mm -hmm. I expect the markets won't react too much of it at all because they've already priced it in in January itself. Right. Yeah. I mean, sorry, following like, I think, I mean, they're in correction territory. I think like NASDAQ yeah. is down over 15%. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, S&P's down over 10% already, but right. at the same time, you know, uh, once, if Russia eventually attacks, you know, Ukraine or the eastern shores of Ukraine, at least, mm -hmm. I don't think the market will react as negatively as people will expect or as analysts are expecting. Yeah, yeah, go, yeah, exactly what you said. You know, it's uh, the market is uh, it's sort of like a predicting indicator. Everything is kind of priced in uh, based on what the majority of investors think is going to happen. Right. And if that event does happen and it's confirmed all that loss that we had and you know the market will probably rebound because it's all priced in right currently it's all priced in all these events all the seven to nine rate hikes are sort of priced in when you have you know all these high multiple tech stocks that have decreased over 50 percent like arc is down back to where it was in covid like that's insane to think about like two years of growth has just been wiped out because mm -hmm. of all this all the news and inflation so once we you know because i i think i uh, sent you guys like this uh, graph or chart uh where 
it sho- it shows like all the wartime stuff like from Pearl Harbor to the Iraq War and the average decline was like 18 days the market was making new lows and then three months later the average returns like double digit and then the one-year return is like on average like 25 percent uh so this is probably a good time to buy stocks you know the really undervalued stocks and i think either outcome if putin doesn't invade it's good for the economy or or stocks uh if putin does invade it's sort of priced in so people will be starting to buy in because what what they expected has ended up having and there's no more really uh confusion or uncertainty on what's going to happen right so uh we'll we'll see how i think like the next fomc meeting is like what next month and they're gonna yeah yeah so that i think till then it'll probably be like pretty shaky but after that if you know powell raises it to 20.25 uh and sort of things sort of slow down in that region it'll be a great time to buy in march and march usually tends to be one of the bullish months for the stock market so uh we'll see how that goes all right, Ethan. Uh, any any last words before we end it off? Um, uh, I think I think we've covered a, a lot, um, of what this issue, um, entails. Um, obviously we can all um we'll all sit back and see how this unfolds. But I think that, um, yeah, I don't think most people actually want a war um i don't know how many people actually want actively want bloodshed um except for maybe putin but um yeah i think uh we've come this all this long way and uh we'll just see how it unfolds yeah yeah i mean uh i guess we're very grateful to be in a position where we don't have to worry about this so i'm really glad for that but uh yeah uh i guess that ends it off um thanks everyone again for listening in uh we hope to start doing weekly podcast episodes talking about both the markets and the politics occurring currently and yeah we will see you guys next time and cut